It is such a special, special Sunday, isn't it? I mean, to get to celebrate all of these families with new babies, what a special time that was. And then tonight, to get to celebrate 19 of some of the finest men you've ever known uh, being appointed as deacons and being commissioned uh, to do the work and the ministry that they're going to be doing, and I'm excited to celebrate that tonight. I also uh, know that there's a young man who's planning on being clothed with Jesus in baptism tonight, so we're excited about that as well. It's a special Sunday, and it's even more special because you've chosen to be here with us this morning, so thank you for being here this morning, each and every one of you. We're concluding, wrapping up our series on being motivated and making sure Not only that we are motivated, but that we're motivated by the right sorts of things. We talked about how we should be motivated by the mercies of God to present our bodies as a living sacrifice to Him. We talked about how we should be motivated by the coming resurrection so that we are steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And then last week we talked about how we should be motivated by the mind of Christ motivated by the cross to consider other people to be more significant than ourselves. And so given the fact that we've spent three weeks, or this will be our fourth week, talking about our motivation, I kind of want to, last year we had moments of truth, I want to have a moment of truth and ask, has mercy and the resurrection and the cross motivated you to take a next step? Have you taken a next step based on the mercies of God, based on the coming resurrection, based on the cross of Jesus? Have you forgiven someone in your life that you've known you needed to forgive? Have you repaired a broken relationship? Have you lifted someone's burdens? Have you gotten more involved in the work and the life of the church? Have you improved your prayer life or your Bible study habits? Have you taken a next step? Because we all have next steps that need to be taken, don't we? And hopefully, hopefully when we come here and we sing these songs and we share this bread and we share this cup and we think about who God is and what he's done for us, hopefully we don't just go to lunch and forget what we've sung about and prayed about and thought about and discussed, hopefully we actually take a next step. So for some of us, maybe there has been some next steps, and we say, yes, over the last month, or the last two months, over the last year, I've really taken some next steps towards being the person I need to be. And for some of us, the answer is probably no. We've thought about it, maybe, and we've thought, you know what, I really need, I need to make that phone call. I need to have that conversation. I need to go and talk to that person. I need to start doing this more. I need to stop doing this other thing. And we've thought about it, but we haven't taken that next step. And if we've failed to take a next step, it's not because the mercy of God isn't motivating. And it's not because the the resurrection isn't motivating. And it's not because the cross isn't motivating. And, And I want to say this, it's not because there's something wrong with you. Sometimes I think that we think, well, there's just spiritual people and non-spiritual people, and I'm just not a spiritual person. Some people get excited about all this spiritual stuff, and some people, they really just, you know, gets in their bones, and then they, they do big things, but that's just not me. That's a lie. It's a lie. 
It isn't that these spiritual things are not motivating, and it's not because something's wrong with you. It's just that you need more of it. You need more of it. You need more mercy. You need more thoughts about the resurrection. You need more thoughts about the cross. See, sometimes when we're feeling the most unmotivated, we withdraw. We withdraw from the very people and the very place and the very activities that ought to be, as we talked about last week, re-motivating, right? When we're feeling unmotivated spiritually, we have this tendency to withdraw from the church. We just, I just don't feel like it. I just don't feel like going tonight. I just don't feel like going this morning. We withdraw from prayer. We withdraw from Bible study. And we wait until we're motivated to do it. And guess what? That motivation will never come. Prayer and scripture are the most necessary when we feel the least motivated to engage with them. Why don't you think about that for just a second? Prayer and Bible study, coming together, singing songs, all of these spiritual activities that help to implant the word of truth into our hearts, into our minds, they are most necessary when you feel the least motivated to engage with them. When you feel like, I just don't feel like coming this morning, I just don't feel like singing these songs, I just don't feel like reading my Bible, I just don't feel like having a time of prayer, I don't feel like gathering my family together and praying, I don't feel like going and serving someone, that's the time you need to do it the most. Because your tank is empty. It's like you're a car and you're driving around on fumes and you say, I just don't feel like going to the gas station. Well, you should have gone a little bit earlier, but even though you didn't, now's the time. Now's the time. You need the right sort of fuel in your tank. And it is these sorts of things, the mercy of God, the coming resurrection, the cross of Jesus Christ, the mind of Christ, and these things will motivate you, not just some spiritual people out there. These things will motivate you when your tank is filled with these sorts of things. And there's no book, I think, that's more motivating and refueling than the book of Ephesians. Now, you know me, I, I wish we could go through the whole six chapters this morning in their entirety. That's what I wanted to do as I read and reread Ephesians this week. I thought, hey, what do I leave out of this sermon? I mean, how in the world could I possibly preach this lesson when the entire book, every single verse is chock full of what we're talking about this month. Paul wants to fill their tank and say, this is what you have in Jesus. This is who you are in Jesus now. Because that's true, go and walk in the good works that God has prepared for you to do. The whole book. So don't just go home and just take these handful of verses. I mean, go home and read the whole book because if you are lacking motivation this is where you'll find it look at Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3 Paul writes to the church at Ephesus and he says blessed be the God and father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us who has blessed us in Christ with some spiritual blessing is that what it says no with what every or all every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places and what is that what does that mean, in the heavenly places? I was thinking a lot about that phrase this week, and I, and I thought, you know, if I were to ask you, where is God, where is God? There'd be a couple of answers that would be good answers, right? Where is God? 
we might say in heaven, right? In heaven. Good answer, right? God is in heaven. But then we also say, well, God is omnipresent, which means God is everywhere, right? So God is in heaven and God is everywhere. How is that? How is that the case? How is God in heaven and God is everywhere? Because in a sense, heaven is everywhere, right? Heaven is everywhere. It's just that it is an unseen place. God is is here, but he's in the unseen realm in what Scripture calls the heavenly places. And Paul says, you, you who are in Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed with every spiritual, that means from the Spirit, empowered by the Spirit. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ in the heavenly places. That means that in the unseen realm, in the place that you can't see, in the way that you can't see, you are more blessed than you can possibly imagine. All you can see is this, right? And what you see when you look in the mirror and what you see when you look at other people. And maybe you might see someone who is poor and destitute and hurting. Maybe somebody that's, that's just lived a hard life. But I'll tell you, what this passage says is if they're in Christ Jesus, then they are glorious and beautiful and blessed more than you could possibly imagine. Somebody living in a third world country with no food to eat and no shelter over their head and no clothes to wear that's in Christ Jesus is blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. If you could only see how glorious they are, if you could only see how beautiful they are, if you could only see how glorious and beautiful you are. See, but we have this tendency to only think about the blessings that are in the earthly places, right? We have this tendency, when we say count your blessings, right? We say count your blessings. What do we mean? We don't mean count your blessings in the heavenly places. We mean count your blessings in the earthly places. And and the truth is that the blessings that are yours in Christ Jesus, that are unseen, that are your possession now and are being reserved in the heavenly places for you, those blessings are more real, not less real. Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're less real. They're more real than the blessings you have in the earthly places. If you were starving and destitute and hurting, but you were in Christ Jesus, you would be more blessed than someone who had a huge house and a nice car and all the food that they could eat but was not in Christ Jesus, because the blessings that are in the heavenly places are more real than those in the earthly places. Look at verse 4. Even as God chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. Now, we sometimes get stuck on this word chosen. It doesn't mean Wes was chosen or you were chosen, but it means that we who are in Jesus, Israel was God's chosen people. Now Paul says that everybody who is in Christ Jesus is God's chosen people. I mean, think about the way these blessings are adding up, but Paul wants you to think about your life. Or Paul wanted the church in Ephesus to think about their life. You are blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. 
And you were chosen before the foundation of the world to be God's holy, blameless people. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Christ, Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise, listen to this phrase, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In love, in love, God determined ahead of time to adopt us to himself, to adopt us into his royal family, to the praise of his glorious, what? Grace. To the praise of his glorious grace. And sometimes, I didn't grow up a lot hearing about grace. I don't know about you. But when I did hear about grace, I, I sort of thought that it was synonymous with mercy. And, and there's, there's, there's a lot of parallel between grace and mercy, but they're not the same thing. Do you know that? Grace and mercy are not the same thing. Mercy is when the punishment that's deserved is withheld. So mercy is the withholding of punishment that's deserved. Grace, on the other hand, is the pouring out of blessings that are undeserved. Think about that for a second. I mean, there's a big difference between those two things, isn't there? Mercy is part of grace, but mercy is withholding punishment that's deserved. Grace is pouring out blessings that are undeserved. You didn't do anything to merit them, but they're given to you. In fact, the Greek word for grace is charis, which is the word from which we get charity. Charity. That's what it is. God's charity. But when we think about charity, we think about like, you know, giving a penny or two, maybe a dollar or two. But that, that's not what Paul is describing here. Grace means gift, gift. And the way Paul describes it over and over again, the gift that you have received, not just singular gift, but the gifts that you have received are the riches, the riches God has to offer, riches that you can't even possibly wrap your mind around. Paul wants audience, the church at Ephesus, and you as the reader of this book to understand the riches, the gifts that God has given you, primarily in this passage, the adoption into his family, into the royal family. You're a part of the royal family. We get kind of obsessed with, some people in this country get obsessed with royalty in other countries, right? You can be obsessed with that if you want to. That's fine. I'm not knocking that. You know, you can, you can watch all the shows and, and, and kind of keep up with all of the royal family. But you know something? You are the royal family. And your royalty is more real. It's more real than any other royalty on the face of the earth. Because being royal in the heavenly places is more real and more lasting than being royal in the earthly places. Because this royalty is coming to an end. Any royalty, any kingdom, any government, any nation in the earthly places is coming to an end. But when you're royal in the heavenly places, that royalty, that family, that relationship is never, is never coming to an end. So it's one thing to look and say, wow, that's so cool, you know, this royal royalty and this, be part of this family and this legacy and this dynasty. That's you, church. That's you. You are a part of the royal family. 
And Paul wants the church at Ephesus to understand, it doesn't matter what your earthly circumstances look like. You might be poor, you might be destitute, you might be hurting, but if you could only see with the eyes of faith who you are in the heavenly places and that by the glorious grace of God, he has adopted you into his family. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he, and I love this word, lavished upon us. You see, one, one result of God's grace, the outpouring of his gifts, is forgiveness. But it's more than that. It's not just that God has had mercy on me and has forgiven me my sins. He has lavished the riches of his grace upon us, adopting us into his family, making us holy, making us his chosen people. And then he goes on to say, in all wisdom and insight, making, making known to us. He's still talking about, this is yours. This is who you are and what you have in Jesus. You are the people to whom he has made known the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and on earth. You, you see what Paul's saying? He's saying, here's part of the riches God has lavished on us that he's made known to us his secret master plan. His secret master plan that was hidden all, the whole time. And what is this secret master plan? That God is uniting everything in heaven and on earth in Jesus. That he's bringing it all together. That he's bringing together humanity and deity in Jesus that he's bringing together everything, that he's redeeming all things, that he's making all things new, and he's given us this sneak peek. He's given us this insight and this knowledge about what he's up to. And all of this, all of this changes the way that we live. And, and so Paul goes on. Ephesians 1, I, again, I wish I had time to read it. Verses 16 through 23, he prays. He prays for the church at Ephesus and he prays that they might know. I want you to know and I'm praying that you know the hope to which you've been called. I'm praying that you know the riches of God's glorious inheritance. I'm praying that you know the immeasurable greatness of his power. Before Paul tells them anything that they should be doing, Again, I know we like practical sermons and we like practical books. And just tell me what I need to do. You can't know what you need to do until you know who you are. You can't know what you need to do until you know what you have in Jesus because I guarantee you, you will burn out and you will be unmotivated. And if you don't burn out and are unmotivated, you'll be mismotivated, and you'll be motivated by all the wrong things. And so Paul wants this to get deep down into our hearts and into our minds so that you know who you are and know what you have in Jesus. And he says, this is why I'm praying that you know the hope to which you've been called, that you know the riches of God's glorious inheritance, that you know the immeasurable greatness of his power. And then in chapter 3, he prays again, verses 14 through 21, that they might allow Christ to dwell in their hearts through faith. 
that they might comprehend and know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that they might be filled with all the fullness of God. There is no greater motivation than knowing who we are in Christ. There is no greater motivation than knowing who we are in Christ. So look at Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 1. And this is where he starts to use the therefores. You know, you know how we like the therefores, right? He says, okay, now because you know all of this, and because you, you see it, because you've heard it, because it's in your mind and because it's in your heart, now, based on that, here's what I have to tell you. Therefore, a prisoner, as a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. See, the New Testament isn't 2nd Leviticus. You know what I'm saying? It's not 2nd Deuteronomy. It's not a law that, that spells out what you're supposed to do in each and every circumstance and situation. And hey, if your neighbor takes your goat, here's what you do. And if your neighbor steps on your toe, here's what you do. Instead, the New Testament changes your heart. And it changes your mind. And it calls you to a different way of living. More specifically, Jesus calls you to a new way of living. And you have to understand that. I can't, Paul can't just give you a set of rules because that's not how it works, being a follower of Jesus. Instead, he says, okay, now that you know the calling to which you've been called, live in a manner worthy of that calling. Live like people that are part of a royal family. Live like a people who are filled with all the fullness of God. Live like God's chosen people. Live like people who have received his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. You have all of this. Now live like it. Live according to that calling. With all, and here's some descriptions of what it looks like. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, Bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. See, because this calling can't be lived out individually. It can't be lived out individually. This calling can only be lived out in the faith community, in the body of Jesus, in the church. And he says, this is what it looks like to live in a way that's worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Humility and gentleness, bearing with one another, put up with each other, deal with each other, bear each other's burdens, be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And you could keep going in Ephesians 4 and look at all he has to say about unity, but we're going to skip to chapter 5 and verse 1. Another therefore, chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore be Imitators of God as, listen, as beloved, what? Children. And that wouldn't make any sense if you didn't read the beginning of the book because that's who you are in Christ Jesus. You are God's beloved children. He's adopted you into the royal family. You are wearing his clothes. You have his signet ring. You bear his name. So imitate him as his beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, 
a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. This is what it looks like to be God's children. And then he says, but sexual immorality and all impurity, covetousness, must not be named among you as is proper among, what? Saints, God's holy ones. God's holy ones. Now, I mean, we could, we could get into all kinds of practicalities and say, well, this is why you shouldn't be immoral and this is why you shouldn't engage in this activity or that activity and don't you know what the consequences are for this and the consequences are for that. But Paul gets right to the heart of the matter and says, this is why you don't engage in immorality because you are God's holy ones. Your life has to reflect who you are in Jesus. And if it's just a matter of, I'm just trying to stay out of trouble, that's not, that's not the kind of motivation that the gospel calls us to have. Why, why should the way that we behave and live be of a certain standard? Because we are God's beloved children. Because we are God's holy ones. So he says in verse 4, let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of what? Place. Out of place. Based on who you are. It, it doesn't matter if you're in the locker room. It doesn't matter if you're at work. It doesn't matter if you're at school. It doesn't matter if you're with your buddies. It doesn't matter how everybody else is talking. What matters is who you are. Who you're called to be in Christ Jesus. That's why your language and your talk and your joking and your words have to be different. Because of what God has done for you. Not because you're better than them. Not because you're holier than thou. But because you've been blessed. And because what kind of an ungrateful person would I be? What kind of an ungrateful group of people would we be to receive all of these blessings, all of this adoption, all of these riches, and then go out and turn our nose up at it and live as if we hadn't received these blessings? This is what gratitude looks like. Gratitude looks like no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking or sexual immorality, or covetousness. This is not how God's holy people are supposed to live. Verse 5, For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral, or impure, or is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. I mean, it's just, he just kind of says it as a matter of fact. Not to scare you into doing it, just to show you that this is not how those who are going to receive an inheritance live their lives. The people who are going to receive an inheritance live their lives in a way that reflects who they are. Verse 6, let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partakers with them. For at one time, for at one time, you were darkness. That, that's how you lived. That's what you did. That's how you talked. That's how you joked around with your buddies. That, you did that at one time. 
But that was before. That was when your eyes were closed. That's when you were living in darkness. That's when you were blind. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that's good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Listen to that. Try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. You've got a job to do. I've got a job to do. I mean, I, we used to wear the braces. What would Jesus do? Good question. Here's another good question. What is pleasing to the Lord? Based on everything you know about God, based on what the gospel tells us, based on what the scriptures say, what is pleasing to the Lord? And that's our job, to try and discern in the moment what is pleasing to the Lord. Not what do I want to do, not what do I feel like doing, not what would gratify my desires, not what are my friends doing, not what, is, what are my neighbors doing, but what is pleasing to the Lord. Why? Because he's blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. The gospel makes things clear, doesn't it? And we look back at the life we used to live, maybe yesterday, maybe last week, maybe five years ago. We look back on those decisions and we see why. Why they were so hurtful to ourselves, why they were so hurtful to our family, why they were so hurtful to our neighbors, why they were so hurtful to God. And we say, I can't, I can't go back to that. I don't want to go back to that. I want to live as somebody who sees the light. I want to wake up. And he says, verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. You see those three things that he tells them to do? He says, be wise, understand what the will of the Lord is, and be filled with the Spirit. And then he goes on to describe what that looks like or how you do that. Be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. When we sing about this grace, when we sing about what God has done for us, when we sing about how God has changed us, we're filled with the Spirit to go out and to live wise and discerning lives. So here's the thought I want to end with this morning. Motivated. God wants us to be motivated by who God's grace has made us. So let's remind ourselves, before we make any decision this week, as we make every decision this week, I want to be motivated by who God's grace has made me. And you can't do that unless you know, right? You, you, can't, you can't make a decision based on this. You can't make a decision motivated by this unless you know who God's grace has made you. Who 
are you because of Jesus? You are adopted into the family of God. You are one who has received every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You, you are one that's part of the royal family. You're one who has received mercy, whose the riches of God's grace has been lavished on you. Let those truths motivate you to walk in the good works that God has prepared for you to do. Maybe, maybe you grew up being motivated by fear. I know a lot of my decisions, spiritually speaking, were motivated by fear. But I want to be a kind of person who's motivated by who God's grace has made me. And I want this to be a church family. And I think we all do, don't we? Want this to be a church family where we are all motivated by who God's grace has made us. So let's be that kind of people today and all week this week. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that's ready to receive the glorious riches of God's grace, to receive his mercy and forgiveness, to be adopted into his family, or maybe you just need prayers or encouragement, but if we can help you in any way, now's a great opportunity to come forward as we stand and sing.